You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Together, 2 Peter chapter 2. And as you're turning there, since Brother Josh brought it up, being such a gracious, supportive worship leader that he is, how many of you ladies would prefer being called old versus well-stricken? Yeah, maybe not old, but maybe well-stricken is not. Uh, I I love the description of uh, Abraham. I think he wisely does not ascribe this to Sarah, but it says of Abraham, he was as good as dead. That's probably the the worst thing that, that we could say of others. So don't just swap old out for anything. Be very strategic on that. I'll let the Lord lead you on that, but be careful. As, as Josh said, your life may depend upon it. Seriously, all right? Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 tonight, let's pick up in verse 10. And uh, as I mentioned last week, we kind of enjoyed the first chapter of 2 Peter was some of the glories and high watermarks of our faith. And then in chapter 2, Peter, as every stable believer and church must do, confronts false teaching and false teachers. And so we talked and began that uh, last week. We want to pick up in the balance of this chapter. Let's begin in verse number 10. But chiefly them that walk, <laughs> excuse me, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignity. So Peter is going on with description of those he's exposing as it relates to false teachers. Um, Verse 11, Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord, but these, in contrast, as natural uh, brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive, verse 13, the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to ride in the daytime. Spots are they in blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. And we'll unpack each of these verses in a moment. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling, this is interesting, unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with the man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak, verse 18, great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise to themselves liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Peter concludes, For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. And then this grotesque illustration, But it has happened unto them, According to the true proverb, the dog is returned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in 
the mire. So we're looking at tonight, as we've been looking at, the firm foundation of God's people that's only found in His Word. And if you're inconsistent tonight or insecure tonight, in some way, you're not rightly related to the Word. And tonight, when I look at this aspect of our foundation, the stability we have in the Word, the Word alone exposes. It exposes false teachers and false teaching, and we see that given to us in the text. Let's pray. Ask the Lord to help us tonight. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for what you're doing <laughs> Excuse me, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, and what you're doing in your church here. We thank you for um, these songs, and um, Lord, just as we sang for the cause, I'm thinking, Lord, of many in this room who've sacrificed much for the church dreams and desires and ambitions they laid aside to serve you and to count the cost of being a part of even this local church. And I thank you for that, the, the fellowship, Lord, that we have together in that sacrifice. But Lord, we are careful tonight to acknowledge that you have sacrificed more than anyone. You love your church and you long for it to be a, a bastion of stability and security and um, consistency. And Lord, often we fail to call out those who are undermining that through their false teaching. And I pray that you would help us to catch the spirit and the implications of this text tonight and to be willing to identify the same kind of teachers in our day and to distance ourselves from them very strategically and firmly, Lord, to be faithful to you in this day. Bless this study, be honored in it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, if you notice that we deal with a lot of peer pressure, um, and not just our kids, that just, you know, the teens, man, I hope Dave tonight helped, Pastor Dave helps our teens deal with peer pressure. I found that we deal with it as well. Isn't it crazy the things that we think we need just because everybody else has one or five of whatever? Um, one of the things I've been tracking for a while, I think we've talked about the cereal aisle, right? Um, or, you know, um, pear-flavored applesauce, like either have pears or have apples, but we don't need both, you know, just we, because we can, we should, and we, sometimes we need to ask ourselves, should we, should we do this? One of the things I've been tracking for a while is the technology in refrigerators. Have you noticed this? Have you priced them lately? And now I know inflation and shortage of supply maybe impacts that, but I'm not kidding you, you almost need to finance them. We're at that point. Hey, buy a new fridge for 72 payments uh, or whatever, you know, easy payments of whatever. They don't even tell you how many months it is. Um, the other day, someone was kind of tongue-in-cheek talking about because, you know, now they have, you can see through the door. Um, it has a window that, you know, and then you can tap it and it goes opaque so you can't see in and all this stuff. And somebody said this, I'm just going to say it. Absolutely nobody needs a Wi-Fi-enabled refrigerator, okay? Let's just establish that. What in the world? And if you have one, you know, whatever, okay? You're cool, you know. But isn't it amazing how what others have becomes something that's not just a want but a need? And I think as it relates to peer pressure, and nowhere, nowhere are we yielding more and caving more than as it relates to teaching. Um, may I just say tonight as we begin, much of our instability is the result of poor choices about those who influence us. Um, one of the things I battle now as a pastor, and I don't mean as in I'm fighting with people, but I know I'm pushing back against, is you guys have, you have podcasts, you have online content, you have YouTube contributors, you have people that can influence you from every corner and crevice of the globe. And if you're not careful, you're just kind of meandering your way into that. And if I'm not careful, I'm doing the same. Instead of being very strategic, what voices what influences are regularly diet in my life. 
And if you sense tonight you're unstable and inconsistent and you're just up and down, may I challenge you, look, take a hard look at those you're listening to uh, on a regular basis, what they teach, not just about the Bible, but everything in our lives uh, in a day-to-day basis. And so much of our instability is a result of poor choices as it relates uh, to our influences. And as your pastor, I love you enough to challenge you on that, and others are doing the same for me. So let's talk about tonight some areas in which Peter models this that can help us do the same in our day. Now, in the second half of the chapter, Peter is now going to directly expose the preachers and teachers who are falsely teaching. I had a couple of folks who watched our study last Sunday night, and they said to me, Pastor, you, you, you pulled short of calling out specifics. I said, we're going to get to that. Peter sets the table and then begins to call out the specific issues and personalities that needed to be addressed. So the question tonight is this, in a day of false teachers being so highly deceptive, how do we identify them and when and how should we call them out? Let's talk about two uh, exposures that you and I need to be a part of as God leads us in our ministry for the Lord. Number one, for a few minutes, first of all, let's talk about exposure as it relates to personality. We need to be a part of exposing those who in their person and who they are, they are identified closely with false teaching. Now, in in one sense, um, don't all teachers and preachers look pretty similar? Um, we all, you know, have similar builds and we use some of the same words. Um, and so it can't be that we're looking for those who are a false teacher just based on surface or superficial things. It must be something deeper. And so Peter here gives us a better way to identify those who are false teachers uh, by certain things that characterize them. So we're going to look at three things that are always true of a false teacher. First, as it relates to their mouths. Secondly, as it relates to their eyes. And thirdly, as it relates to their heart. So I'd like you to think about those influencing you on those three levels. What's their mouth like? Where are their eyes directed? And what's their heartbeat? What's the passion uh, behind what they are teaching? And I invite you to ask that of me and others that influence you. Uh, these are ways that we are, we are vigilant in a day where teachers are very uh, deceptive. All right, number one, jot this down. Allow God to expose those who have proud mouths. So as it relates to the mouth of a false teacher, it will always be characterized by pride. Um, I don't know if you ever had a conversation with someone who just, I don't know how else to say it, just won't shut up. You know, they just keep going. You ask, how are they? And, and then you regret that, okay? And it goes on for a while. It's almost a hostage situation by the end. But somebody the other day was saying, have you ever been in a conversation with 20 yups, six wows, and eight, man, that's crazy, and they just keep going? Like, man, wow, that's crazy, and they just keep going and going. Uh, can I tell you, as it relates to a false teacher, they will be known not just by a verbosity or a, a volume in talking, but there will be a pride, an inflated sense of self uh, that will define them. And so we must identify them as such. All right, go to the text now to verse 10. And we see Peter identifying this pride that issues forth from the mouth of a false teacher. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. All right, let me give you two ways in which this proud mouth manifests itself. Number one, jot this down, they have proud words toward authority. 
So someone who is an authority, there's a, there's a, a, a rising up against. They have pride that often speaks against authority. They despise any form of dominion or authority uh, or the person in position just because they're in the position. It, it's nothing necessarily specific or personal. They chafe under authority. Their pride does. May I remind you tonight that God has established the dominions, uh, the authorities of our world, whether that be human government, headship in the home, leadership in the church, and the list goes on and on. And so for a false teacher to counter that is to reject and resist the order of God. Uh, and so we must not be aligned with those who are running in that uh, direction. And by the way, there are a lot of folks who've gotten huge followings by doing that. We're the upstarts. We're the insurrectionists. We're going to burn it all down. And that resonates with a large portion of our, of our world. May we not be found amongst them. Verse 11, whereas angels, all right, these folks think they have something and they have the right to do, and Peter counters that with the perspective of angels, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, and they are, um, they can travel distances we can, can't even comprehend. They have ability and access to God that we currently do not in a physical sense. These in greater power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. And so false teachers are doing things and think they have the right to do things that even the angels before God are not willing to do. Uh, and those who are greater in power and stronger than man, these false teachers are reluctant to do what these are freely eager to do. So maybe this takeaway tonight, before we move on, any teacher who rejects or rebels against clearly God-instituted authority is a false teacher, period. The one that wants to burn it all down and constantly is nitpicking and biting and nipping at the heels of anyone in authority, no matter what else they have to say, we must reject them as a false teacher. Because if we do not, it puts us in a precarious position, an unstable place, we're resisting God himself. Romans reminds us of that, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 13. Let every subject, every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And then in verse 2, Paul says this, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. That's a very precarious place to be. And so not just those who are teaching it, but those who are following it, are in a very unstable place. Refuse to follow someone who has proud words toward authority. All right, verse 12. Go back to our text there in 2 Peter, if you will now, verse 12. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. All right, number two, jot this down. They have proud words toward authority. Number two, they have proud words toward knowledge. Proud words toward knowledge. Um, I have a man I know, we're not close friends, but he's uh, in the process of planning a church in northern Alabama. And uh, the other day he was at Walmart. Um, before I show you the picture that just cracks me up when I see it, somebody said, um, you know, we need Jesus to get to heaven. And somebody said, we need Jesus just to get to Walmart without, you know, hurting somebody. You know, we need Jesus to go there. I don't know if you avoid Walmart or you have interesting experiences, but he posted this picture of a sale <laughs> was $29.96 and now for the bargain basement price of $44.77. Like, I mean, who put that up? I mean, you know, that's just corporate, I guess, you know, just do your job and whatever they tell you to do, do it. 
Isn't it funny the things that people do without a sense or appreciation for knowledge? Um, in, in some circles, what's right or what's true is irrelevant. It's just what gets us worked up and what resonates with us and what gets us excited. And proud words often reject what is true. They reject what is knowledge. And here we see these apostate leaders uh, resembling, as he says here, natural brute beast or they're irrational animals. Um, no matter how much you love your pet, they're, they're not as smart as you, I think, okay? They, they lack certain ability mentally and on a soul level. God has not given them that ability. And she, God says here that those who have proud words toward knowledge, they are brute beasts. They're acting animal-like. They've lost much of what God has given them to do and be. And just as many animals seem to have no higher destiny than to ultimately be killed and butchered, these same false prophets are lunging toward their own destruction. Whatever it takes to get a crowd, whatever it takes to get a following to their own detriment. One commentator said this, I thought this was a good description of them. The voices of false teachers become nothing more than the grunts of an animal. And may we never be found following such a leader. That it's just, it's base desires, it's appealing to those base desires at the expense of knowledge, all that God has revealed to us in His Word. Now, interestingly, notice the end of verse 12, he says, they speak evil of things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. They're speaking evil of things that they don't understand. Their ignorance is never more glaring than when they criticize the Bible. You have the essence of knowledge here, right? And a teacher who critiques the Word of God is false, period. They're critiquing, they're, they're speaking evil of that which God has revealed. And so may we never sit under that or be influenced by that kind of teacher. They're devoid of divine life. They're unable to understand the words, the ways, and the works of God. Yet they pose as experts on spiritual things. Um, and it's amazing how many have no sense of knowledge of God's Word and let... let you know, and yet, let me be your spiritual leader and guide. May we, again, distance ourselves from that influence. 1 Corinthians 2.14, you could jot down the reference on your own time, read it. 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto, them, unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Do you sense spiritual discernment uh, in those that are <laughs> teaching you, those who are influencing you? Um, I've done um, some Bible college training and seminary training, and sometimes Bible colleges take a hard knock, and they should at times. Seminaries at times have been the means of basically stripping of a well-intended young man of his faith in the Word of God, in the local church, etc. And so I, I acknowledge that tonight. But I think also sometimes we undermine the value of growing in our knowledge. Brother Andrew has started some new Bible college training online, and others of you are learning and growing spiritually, and I I affirm that, and I, I too am learning and growing, trying to. Um, but one author I was reading said this about specifically seminary, and then he brings this application to the church. He said, Christians should learn to substitute for the unthinking faith of childhood, as we saw in the video this morning, the profound conviction of a full-grown man. And then he said this statement, I think this is great. The church is perishing today through the lack of thinking not through the excess of it. And I just want to challenge you with this. Are those that are teaching you making you think? 
think as a line with knowledge, not let's just feel our way, let's just kind of collaborate, let's just kind of pool our own thoughts together. We need challenged, and those that are faithful teachers will regularly do that. Any influencer that they themselves does, don't need to keep reading, learning, and growing in their biblically aligned knowledge is not someone worth following. Like, do you see them growing? Do you see me growing? Do I see you growing? Those that teach us ought to be students themselves, learning and working. We've never arrived. We're not, we don't have it all figured out. That's a faithful teacher. I had coffee this last week with a seasoned man I respect greatly, way ahead of me spiritually and in ministry. And he asked me humbly, he said, I'm getting stuck in my prayer life. What do you have? What advice would you have? He's twice my age. And said to me, I'm getting stuck. My prayer life is stale. What, what, what do you find is working? Man, that's encouraging to me. He has a heart for that and the humility to admit that. That's a faithful teacher. Are we seeing that in the lives and hearts of those that we're following? A leader's response and characterization of authority and knowledge often shows the rule in their lives whether they are faithful or a fraudulent leader. Stable believers identify with those who are faithful and disassociate from those uh, who are not. May we all uh, be wise in that area. All right, go back to our text in verse 13. And there's a second characteristic of a false teacher that you and I must see and must distance ourselves from. Verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 13. And shall, <coughs> excuse me, receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to ride in the daytime, spots are they and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. And then you notice at the beginning of verse 14, we'll unpack more of it in just a moment, having eyes full of adultery. Number two, jot this down. Allow God to expose those who have lustful eyes. Lustful eyes. Um, the other day I was reading an article, I can't remember who sent it to me, but it was about Elon Musk. And if you heard of the guy, he's rather, rather renowned at this point in his career. He's just growing in so many ways as the fearless leader of Tesla, the auto company and SpaceX. And he's got all kinds of things he's got in the works. But the, art, <laughs> excuse me, the article somebody sent to me this past week was that Elon Musk is on track to become the first trillionaire ever. And I typed that in my sermon notes, and Microsoft Word said it was a word that doesn't exist. Like, that's the level this guy's getting to. He's going to reach a financial status that spell check says isn't a word yet. Just, and largely, especially to his efforts in SpaceX, what he's doing in, in space. Um, the richest man in the world currently who will become only richer. Do you know there are a lot of folks that they're not just launching things into space and generating new automobiles just for personal aggrandization. There are also teachers doing that. You do know that, right? Um, I'm sure you're aware of that. And many times, if we're not careful, we're not looking through what they're saying to what they're looking at and what their agenda is. And so we see Peter here identifying not only those who uh, have a, uh, a desire and intention to be proud with their mouths, but also their eyes are full of lust. In verse 13, you notice that he talks about they... They are shameless, <laughs> they're open about their, their lustfulness, their, their carnality. They're not even ashamed or <laughs> discreet with it. It's just out in the open. Um, in John 3, it talks about men love darkness rather than light for their deeds are evil. That's not, they're not even doing that anymore. It's just out in the open. They're, they're flaunting uh, their flesh. At the end of verse 13, it talks about 
um, sporting themselves with their own deceiving while they feast with you. The language seems to indicate that during like communion, observance of, of, of corporate gatherings and feastings and, and likely even the Lord's table, that they were, they were focused on themselves and looking out for themselves. Maybe they had a reserved table or some different fare that they were eating, F-A-R-E, versus what the common folks were participating in. And they were as leaders uh, looking out for number one. May I just remind us tonight that those who brazenly flaunt their liberty and allow that to contaminate what would be otherwise sacred gatherings and activities of the body of Christ are never a good source of divine guidance or stability uh, when they treat these things lightly and look out only for themselves. All right, verse 14, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. This describes men, especially who preach supposedly for religious sermons, uh, administer the ordinances, counsel the members of their congregation, yet their eyes are constantly on the lookout for women with whom they can uh, enter into this adulterous activity. Their, their eyes are full of that. That's their focus. That's their emphasis. In verse 13, it uses two words that actually come from the same original word. If you look at verse uh, 13 where it says the word riot, you see that there? Pleasure to riot in the daytime, and then later it says spots are they in blemishes, sporting themselves. Both of those words came from the, come from the same word. And the idea is the word revel. R-E-V-E-L, reveling in something, drawing great satisfaction and pleasure in something, the idea of reveling. May I just say this tonight to each of us in our own areas of influence, a leader's eyes, what they really are looking at are disclosed by what they revel in. What do you revel in? If you were to ask of me tonight, what does our pastor revel in? What does he get great joy and satisfaction from? If it's fleshly, if it's carnal, then yours truly or someone else that you may be influenced by uh, is not a faithful teacher. What are we reveling in? So false preachers or teachers are known for eyes that track everything and everyone around them with unchecked pursuit of immorality and pleasure. Only those who are honest about where the eyes of their spiritual leaders are focused can possess stability in the Word of God. The eyes don't lie, do they? They're the window to the soul. Where are the eyes of the people that you're following? What are they looking at? What are they focused on? Where are they leading you? That's a question we we must honestly ask of those we sit under. All right, thirdly, number three. So first, uh, we see their eyes, and then just a moment ago we talked about their mouths. Thirdly now, jot this down, allow God to expose those who have covetous hearts. So mouths are proud, eyes are lustful, Hearts are covetous. Look back at verse 14. Cannot cease from sin. Notice this, beguiling unstable souls. Here it is. And heart they have exercised with covetous practices. Cursed children. Covetous hearts. Um, I remember after our fall night of worship, the one that we did in Orville, um, we were walking out afterwards, and Brother Josh, who likes to crack some jokes, as you saw a moment ago, he and I were walking out, and Tim uh, Miller was with us, and he was just saying to us, like, we were, I, I think we were joking about doing a solo or something next time we did it or something like that. And he's like, guys, I just, that makes me nervous just like talking about getting up in front of people. 
And I think Josh said at first, he said, you, you do know we get nervous too. Like this isn't like just unique to you. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but those of us who do this all the time, if you lose all sense of nervousness, you're going to do and say things you're going to regret. Okay, a little nerves uh, is a good thing. And uh, I think Josh said it, or maybe I did as well after we talked about it, but the idea is that the way you lose that or you push through that is the larger message of the song you're singing or the sermon you're preaching that you get, you lose yourself in, in what needs to be said or sung. Um, the other day I heard this statement by a man I respect, John Maxwell. He's written a lot on leadership, and he said this, communicators, when you're wrapped up in yourself, you cannot connect with your audience. So if that helps you in areas you have influence, he says, you will start the process of becoming a great communicator the day you get over yourself. The day you get over yourself. <laughs> those who are false teachers in our day are those who have not gotten over themselves. They're using it. They're working it. They have covetous hearts. They're working every angle to get out of it everything that they can. And so we see here that they are known not just by, by their, their eyes and by um, their hearts or their mouths, but thirdly by these hearts, what they seek, what they want, what they're passionate about. And in verse 14, you see that they, I think this is striking, they beguile or they entice unstable souls. And so a teacher is known by their followers. We talked about that briefly last time, and these teachers will misuse passages to condone sin. And if you hear a teacher that's using Scripture to condone sin, I mean, don't we know that's false teaching? It should be obvious to us. Uh, Maybe they explain matters of right and wrong as being determined largely by our culture instead of the Word. Uh, They reassure those who follow them that nothing is wrong because if it's done in love, it's okay. Those kind of messages that appeal to our our lust and appeal to our uh, our own base desires. Therefore, the unsteady soul, the one beguiled by this teacher, figures if this leader thinks it's okay, and it's okay for them, then it's definitely okay for me. That's the sequence of how these false teachers are misleading those around them. But notice how Paul or Peter responds at the end here. He says, cursed children. Um, They are cursed children. And so Peter here sees the, the, the crisis of this moment. He takes it very seriously and causes us, we should say, a curse be they. We must distance ourselves from them as Peter is modeling. Um, and so I think we need to ask those that we follow, ask of those that we follow, what do they want? What's their passion? What's their heartbeat? Uh, we must judge a teacher not just on what they say, but the heart behind what they say and be ever careful uh, in asking those questions. By the way, it's not just the teacher, listen to me, it's also the listener that often is fueled by covetousness. One of the travesties of prosperity gospel is that it's not just the guy up front that's getting the Rolex and the, the Airstream and whatever, it's everybody there's also jockeying for their own corner on that. You know what I mean by that? Like they're, they're, they're supporting a prosperity preacher, gospel preacher, for what they get out of it. And so often they are propped up, not just by the, the covetousness of the leader or teacher, but also of those who are following. Uh, hold your place there quickly. Would you go back to 2 Timothy? Just one example of this as God calls this out and maybe brings this to bear in our own lives. Some of you may be listening to a teacher because of what you can get out of it. Uh, we have to be willing to admit that. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2, Paul is challenging Timothy to be faithful 
in his preaching. And in verse 2, preach the word, 2 Timothy 4, 2, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Why? For the time will come, and probably this time we're in today would be included in that. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. You know, the, the pandemic of our day of false teachers is not the teachers. It's all those who prop them up and give them a platform and, and post the video and share this little pithy thought that will fix all of your problems. That's the root of false teaching. And the moment we're willing to own it and identify it and disassociate it from it, we suck the life out of. We at least pull away our support from that false teaching. I thought that video this morning was so cute. I love the end, didn't you? It's a long story. Out of the mouth of babes. But the part that cracked me up was the idea where the girl's like, I think they brought mud. Did you catch that? And then someone's like, no, it was merchandise. Merchandise. You do know that there are teachers that are merchandising us. They're using us to get out of this world and this life what they want. And may we not be a willing participant in that. Only those willing to ask and respond biblically to the following question, why is this person teaching and leading me? And number two, why do I like to listen to and follow this teacher? Only that believer can be a grounded uh, believer. All right, go back to our text now to verse 15. And right in the middle of uh, this text, we see an example given. If you didn't understand what a false teacher looks like, God now gives us one, a guy named Balaam. Really crazy story where a donkey talks to him, and it's just, it's a crazy story. There's some stories in Scripture like, I don't know, I, I know I should believe it, but there's some parts of this that just, man, are a little, a little out there. And so Balaam is the guy that Peter selected to use as an illustration of a false teacher. Balaam, by the way, who embodied all three of these, a proud mouth, he had it, a heart that was covetous. Uh, we see that clearly indicated in the examples of Scripture and had lustful eyes. We see all three as a component uh, of, his, of his influence. And so basically a summary of that would be given in these verses. Look at verse 15. Which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. And so this man is put forth as an example that we might identify a false teacher. You do know the story, right, of Balaam? So he sells out to a king to curse God's people, and, and God won't allow that to happen. And so eventually what he does is he tells the king, this pagan king, if you'll convince the Israelites to intermarry, you'll delude and you'll defeat them in a different way. And so he led to this revolution, if you will, of sorts, of an openness, immorality-wise, and and defying God's law in so many ways, and he got the payoff as a result of it. But in Numbers chapter 31 and verse 8, Balaam is killed, isn't he? God takes him out. God deals with Balaam because he had sold out uh, instead of being faithful as a teacher and a prophet uh, for the Lord. I was thinking about that the other day when someone mentioned to me, I don't know if you've ever seen, I don't usually wear them much, but like, you know what I mean by a lapel button? Like you tuck it in the hole here where maybe some of you put a flower or some, you know, sometimes a, a, um, uh, even like something that's flat but has a profile to it. And they were saying of preachers what we ought to have in our lapel. And I thought this was interesting. They said this, and don't, don't make me one this week, please, okay, when you hear this illustration. I've been humbled just by the thought. Uh, preachers ought to have a donkey button on their lapel as they preach. 
And the, the takeaway was this, if God can use a donkey to talk to Balaam, then we're nothing special. That was kind of the takeaway. So here's, I thought about getting one and just wearing it tonight for the, the effect. But, but teachers themselves are nothing. Preachers are nothing. It's, it's what we're teaching. It's who we're doing it for. That's what shapes and defines us and gives us value. It's not that I'm a teacher, it's what I'm teaching that defines me. And so Peter here calls us back and reminds us of this example so that we might be able to identify the false teachers. Can I just say this and we'll move on? I could list some today, tonight, that are false teachers in our day. The problem is that list is rather lengthy. And even by listing them, I might leave off the one that you're listening to. Can I just ask you, do you know of the false teachers that are in your world that you do have an opening to listen to and are regularly coming after you with their teaching? If you don't know of any, it's not because they're not there. You're not willing to to own that responsibility as a believer, and that's why you're so unstable and insecure in your walk with the Lord. Own that they're there. Identify them by this pedigree and these uh, these evaluations and let God distance you from them. All right, number two. Let's spend a few minutes talking about number two, not just the exposure of the personalities, but number two, the performance. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but some people who perform on a regular basis, they're just so gifted, right? And just like, just makes you sick. You know, they're so gifty in their giftedness and it just oozes from them. Uh, my boys came from home uh, this past Wednesday and they had little clear bags with bow ties in them. And here, Miss Rachel, you know, she plays piano. Did you see those, the rest of you? She made a bow tie for every boy, young boy and teenage boy for the Christmas program. Just like probably a few minutes on the weekend, she did that. Um, and it's like... I. I actually, I, Rachel, I don't even know how to spell the word crochet. I was trying to put it in my notes. Like, that's where I'm at. Do you feel me on that? It just, they just, they do, they do, they do. Can I say to you tonight, as it relates to false teachers, one of the things that we need to evaluate is not just what they say, we just talked about that, but what is the fruit of their teaching? What is the fruit of their teaching? By their fruit, you shall know them. And that may be a stretch a bit to apply that to this setting, but isn't it true? It's not what they say that a lot of times is where we can catch them. It's what's the result of what they say. And is it helping or hurting? Is it freeing or is it bringing into bondage? And so we'll talk about that. But we clearly see that Peter now moves from what they're saying to what they're doing and what what is done by what they say in the lives of others. May I just say this to you tonight? Preachers and teachers are known not just by what they promise, but what they deliver. Anybody can promise anything. What is the delivery? What comes on the back end? And in business, we talk about this as kind of the idea of the, the, the gap, the gap between what they promise to deliver, the performance uh, or the promise level versus the performance level. They said one thing, but this is what they actually delivered on. And so we need to be honest about that with those that teach us. All right, a couple things under that. <laughs> number, number one, jot this down. Allow God to expose those who give empty promises. Go back to verse 17. Allow God to expose in your life those who give empty promises. So Peter now shifts back from the example of Balaam now to this uh, teaching. Look at verse number 17. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. And so we see them wells, they promise a lot, but they do not deliver. 
Um, And this will kind of be a summary of this verse, if this helps you understand the analogy of Peter, as he talks about people coming to these teachers. They need answers, and they need hope, and they need truth. And then when they come and they, they pull up from the well, if you will, of the deep thoughts of this individual... Instead of finding water that, that, that satiates them and satisfies them, instead it's just dry, gritty sand. It's useless what is found in the bucket of their life. No true refreshment, no soul satisfaction, no help is found in what they have to say. Then the end of verse 17, it goes on to say, to whom are not only wells without water, but notice clouds that are carried with a tempest. I don't know if you've ever been wanting water, you know, just put seed in the ground or you, whether it's your yard or your farm or whatever, and then you see the cloud on the horizon, and man, it's looming and it's large, and then nothing. It just, it looked, and there's even a wind, but, but there's no moisture. There's no delivery on what so desperately is needed. They are clouds, but there's no rain. There's clouds, but there's no rain. And it's interesting at the end of verse 17, sticking with that analogy, he says, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. This consequence of being promisers without deliverers. Um, As you know, we mentioned this and we'll talk more about in the new year, but God has led Heidi and I out of our church to begin to minister to some churches and pastors through our counseling ministry. And so we'll be out of town some this next year, a few weekends, doing some wellness weekends, ministering to health, mental health, and spiritual health needs of pastors in their churches. And God has been good in helping us schedule those. But one of the things I'm nervous about or concerned about is just I'm used to preaching here. And we have inside jokes and we have, you know, all the stuff, that the give and take. And then to go preach at least on a semi-regular basis to those I don't know, I don't have that rapport. I don't have those those things that we've shared together. And so that's a unique phase that God uh, is going to stretch us in the new year. Can I ask you this question? Those that you've been following for a while, here's the probing question is the more you've gotten to know them and be influenced by them, there's more substance there. That that the more you get to know them, the more they refresh your soul and the deeper they take you. Or is it the more you're around them and listen to them, it's just, it's shallow. There's nothing beyond the surface and the profile and the promo and the, uh, the PR campaign. Faithful teachers, they take us deeper. They give to us a depth and a growth and a, a refreshment that a false teacher cannot uh, deliver on. And so follow those who don't lead to a parched and unstable place. Lead to, follow those who lead you to a place of constant renewing and depth and delivery as they're faithful to the Word of God. The outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed day by day. That's as we meet out and we minister out the Word of God. All right, two more. Number two, jot this down. Allow God to expose those who give tempting chains tempting chains. So empty promises, now tempting chains. Look at verse 18. For when they would speak great, for when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh through much wantonness. Those that were clean escaped from them who live in error while they promised themselves liberty. They themselves are the servants of corruption for of whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought into bondage. Allow God to expose those who give tempting chains. Have you noticed that when you give in to your flesh, you say yes to what you should say no, that the next time it's harder to say no? It just, it, it starts to get its tentacles around you, doesn't it? it? It just, it grabs a hold of you. 
And those who are false teachers, because they're telling us what we want to hear and what our flesh wants to hear, it leads to greater and greater bondage. I think I mentioned this either last week, I think it was last week with the example of Noah. You do know that during Noah's day, the people mocking the ark and what Noah was preaching, they weren't doing that just extemporaneously as just a mob. There were false teachers in Noah's day, I assure you of that. Just It's kind of alluded to even the text that were saying he was a fool and they were affirming what everybody wanted to hear. And even as the first raindrops began to fall and as the, as the deep was broken up, I guarantee they were still trying to steady the mob. It's going to be okay. And so what false teachers do is they just keep us in bondage and keep us locked in where God wants to free us. And so may we be careful to identify those seeking to do so, getting their, their teeth, if you will, in us and holding on and working that angle over and over, controlling and manipulating uh, through these chains they wrap around us. And so may we push back against that when we see it in those who teach us. They're great orators. We see that reference. Look back at verse 18. They speak great swelling words of vanity. They're great speakers. They know how to spin a phrase. They know how to work a crowd and conjure up an emotional high or low. They hold this audience that's described here spellbound with their rhetoric. And yet their sermons lack content. I don't know if you've ever been in a setting where someone talks for a while and they get done, you're like, they said nothing. (laughs) That's kind of the, maybe you've thought that of me, you know, at least once in a while. I don't know what he was saying, if he said anything. But, But there's nothing of content. There's nothing of substance. That's the description here. It's just all words of vanity. But notice the end of verse 18. This is key. How can they keep a crowd when they're saying nothing? They allure through the lust of the flesh through much wantonness. Those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. And so we see that they appeal, their strategy is they allure people by promising unrestrained indulgence of their selves, their lust, their passion, their bodily appetites. And it basically would look something like this. God gave you that desire, so do whatever you want with it. And they sanctify things that clearly Scripture uh, confronts and does not associate with. And so we must be willing to disassociate from that teaching. <laughs> and then you know, notice the end of verse 18, that this causes them to indulge freely in sinful pleasure, to, to, to give in to their flesh. They hear the gospel. Um, instead of hearing the gospel, they hear that sin is condoned and permitted, and, and so they give into it with the religious approval that they see around them. All right, and then verse 19, you see that they talk about freedom but they mean freedom from authority, as we mentioned earlier, and freedom to sin. And this existence leads not to greater liberty, but to greater bondage. I've regularly run into folks who, um, I don't know how else to say this, they just, you can tell they've had a tough life. Um, and if I had to guess their age or their stage of life, I would probably gauge they were further along than they are, but life's just been hard to them. Whether someone else has sinned against them or they've chosen to give in to sin, and there's just there's a wear and a tear, not just on the body, but on the heart and the soul. Um, the grind, it's not freeing. It is, it is incarcerating. It brings greater bondage. And those who promote that must be disassociated from. I was talking with some of our men tonight. Um, one of the things that I'm very uh, um, concerned about is that pornography is becoming normalized. And I share with our men tonight, as we were talking about some things for the new year, some of our leadership team, um, 
just some statistics of what is normal for a Christian man as it relates to that, and then even concerning figures about women. And as <laughs> I was thinking about that, even in reference to our study tonight, a guy was talking about why false teachers are so dangerous as it relates to some of these things that so easily get, get their teeth in us, the bondage that it brings. And, and he said this, listen to these words. If you want to be free from ethical imperatives, preachers abound to satisfy your desires. But in the depth of your heart, you know that without the waters of God's Spirit dwelling within, none of us possess the internal strength to walk away from that which corrupts us. The alluring pool of sin is too strong. Perhaps is it nowhere as strong as the internet? With all of its pornographic pull, the illicit use of the home and office computer is turning men into brute animals who act on instinct alone. The elephant under the carpet of the church is enslaving and corrupting a generation. And we all know that's true if we're honest tonight. Men's souls, which ought to now be strong, are languishing. Men's minds are filled with frustration. And all around the world, their relationships with spouses and with God is fracturing. And then he brought this to the false teacher. The last thing we need then are preachers unwilling to call men to holiness because they themselves are enslaved in chains. Like, we need freedom, don't we, in our day? So why are we flirting with and keeping in our lives these false teachers that promise no hope and they only compound the burdens and bondage uh, that we have? We must distance ourselves from those who give to us this temptation that leads to the chains. A leader with integrity will evidence it in their life, uh, not with lesser freedom from their fleshly tendencies of pride, uh, with greater freedom from their fleshly tendencies of pride, anger, lust, and greed. And so may we look for those who are experiencing that and follow their example. All right, go to verse 20. Let's spend just a moment here in these last couple of verses. Verse 20, and we see a third thing that God wants to expose as it relates to what, what is done by these false teachers. For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of, our Lord, of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Thirdly, <laughs> jot this down. Allow God to expose those who give degrading relapses. Big words tonight. Couldn't think of a simpler way to say it. Allow God to expose those who give degrading relapses. Um, we were joking tonight, our meeting, uh, we were initially going to have it in room 106, which is the youth room. And just with everything going, I said, let's get as far from the noise as we can. And so I text out tonight, we're going to meet in 103. And Andrew was joking with me. He's like, oh, man, there's no popcorn in 103. There's popcorn in 106, you know, the youth room. So that tells you where his heart is. He's feeling better, I can tell, Mandy, uh, if that's the case. But isn't it funny how, like, our flesh just wants it? I'm not saying this is true of Andrew, but <laughs> I use the word our in a very generic way, Okay. Um, but we, we just, we want things, and the, the struggle is we never stop wanting them, this side of glory, do we? And one of the things that I think is a good way to gauge a false teacher is where are they, what ditch do they slip into when they do digress, or where are their followers having relapses, and uh, is it trending in the right direction or the wrong direction? And we see clearly that those that follow false teachers, they may scrub up the outside, the pig gets a bath, but then he's back in the muck and the mire. Scripture says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creature, right? Old things are passed away, all things are become new. And so the product of faithful teaching is transformation. 
It's not we scrub up the pig and then there's all these relapses that we see in the life of those who are following the false teachers. And so God can expose false teachers as we look at those who are following them. That's the description here. It's not a description of the teacher. Verse 20 to 22 is of those following the teachers. And these relapses will only come on a regular basis to those who are following, those who are teaching falsely. And so may we be willing to identify that and again disassociate from it. And so we see in verse 20 this reference to all religious restraints are gone. And as a result of that, they go back to a situation they're worse off than they began with, kind of like the demoniac who is purged of one demon, and then he invites back in a horde of them, and Christ said his, the latter end is worse than the beginning. That's the language here. That's the reference. And notice the solution to it. Did you notice that in verse uh, number 20? For if after they've escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of, of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, go down to verse 21, for it better for them not to have known than after they have known the holy commandment. And so the emphasis is upon knowledge. It's not God's knowledge. It's a distorted version of it. And so the solution is knowledge that leads to righteousness, faithful teaching, and faithful following. That's what will keep us from this faith. One of the best tests of a faithful leader is, or of a leader is what caliber of follower are they producing? Are those that follow them better or worse from God's perspective? I think you ought to walk out of any place or out of anything you listen to, and God will be able to say to you, you're better because of it, not it would have been better if you hadn't even begun. And so may we allow that to be a question we ask. Am I better? Are others better as a result of the influence of this individual? Not by my standards or others, but by God's alone. And then notice these last two verses. He uses this final illustration of how degrading it is to follow a false teacher. You may say, Pastor, this is a bit abstract. This isn't where I live, or I don't know if this is of great concern. The dog, (laughs) notice, is turned again to its own vomit, the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Does that not indicate a certain level of uh, perpetual instability? Cleaning up, digressing. Getting free of something, slipping back into it. And all of that is perpetuated by folks who choose willingly to follow false teachers. Don't be that, believer. I'm not saying it's always up and to the right, I guess from your perspective, up and to the right. There's going to be dips and ebbs and flows, but is there consistent growth and progress? That's only possible when you're under the right teaching. And may we ask God to help us to be more consistent and more stable as we, more, as we are more selective in those we listen to. All right, let's end with one verse or two verses. Go to 2 Timothy 5. Lest you think we should not call out false teachers. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and if you would please, verse 19. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 19. Pastor I was reading said this as you're turning there. When you do name a false prophet, it is best to do it in a setting where you do more than name drop. You should explain the error. You should give the reasons for rejecting it. You should communicate the complexities of it. And you should set a tone for longing for truth and love. You're not just slinging mud. And if you call out a teacher, make sure you keep those things in mind. Here in 1 Timothy, notice what he says um, in verse uh, chapter 5. And if you would please, verse 19. I am not in the right. Am I off there? Can somebody help me? Oh, there we go. I was in chapter 6. 
Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Then verse 20, them that sin, rebuke before all, that others also may fear. So it does need to at times be a public thing. It needs to be a firm thing. It needs to be so that others will see and they will fear. And here's my fear. Here's my concern tonight. Some of you in the room, you're letting into your own life, your ears, your mind, your heart, certain teaching and philosophy. And I think what you've forgotten is that there are others listening and impacted by that. It's one of the things I'm constantly gauging as a dad. Um, is maybe I can handle this, but is it, can my boys process that? Are they going to be misled by this? That's something that maybe is misrepresented. And I think some of you, especially as your children are aging, getting older, some of what you used to watch and listen to and consume, I'm telling you, you need to cut it out. You should have probably before, but now there's that feedback that you're getting and you can sense that and where you are a bit careless and flippant. Um, toward that which is communicating subliminally even false teaching and ideas. Uh, we need to distance ourselves from that. And so here you see he says, rebuke before all that others may fear. Um, don't tolerate it. Don't flirt with it. Don't keep it on the back burner of your heart and life. Uh, it will at some, point, at some point mislead others. All right, so do you realize that who you're following and being influenced by will directly correlate to how much or little security you have? And would you be more picky and selective in the right sense as it relates to those who influence you? Will you allow God to separate you from poor influences by his exposure of their personality and their true performance? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word tonight.